In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos Podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB as the Toronto Argonauts lose 38-33 in a game that didn't matter but still was pretty exciting when it came down to it. JB, yes or no, this game was <laughs> 75 times more interesting than the Edmonton game yeah. last year that was also meaningless. 175 times more. Uh, it was Yeah, th- that was a very entertaining game, like watching a great pickup game of basketball. Uh, you know, end to end, not really sure what the score is, not really sure who won, um, but uh, but entertaining. And, you know, I, I think that's all you could ask for, um, for for that game to be. So I think I think everybody should be really happy. I'm sure the crowd uh, really, you know, loved it because it was uh, <laughs> it was pretty free flowing football. Yeah, it was it was a fun game to watch and it was a great crowd on hand. It couldn't have been a better day for a CFL game. BMO is always a nice place to watch a game, but beautiful sunshine. The weather was perfect in terms of temperature. There was no wind. And I, I think, you know, everyone that came out today to BMO Field is is probably thinking about coming back again because that was a, yeah, that was, that was a perfect atmosphere for a football game. Uh, it was weird because there was, there was such, you talk about it being like a pickup basketball game. It's because there was so little flow to anything. Because they're not really trying to, like, you're trying to win, but you're also trying to evaluate. So, like, there were a few times where I'm pretty sure Coach Dinwiddie wouldn't have gone for it on third down, things like that, or called that play in this situation were it a normal game. But he's trying to get a sense of of what his guys can do instead of, I think this will really catch Montreal off guard. Yeah, it was, both teams were playing very you know very vanilla we it lo- it felt like we had more twos and threes in than Montreal did at least at the beginning um but uh, both teams were you know like were competitive those guys who came in clearly wanted to show their coaches that uh, they were you know they were essentially auditioning for for next year and uh, so that brought a certain a certain edge to the game that that you don't always get in these games so it was that was entertaining to watch yeah, there was definitely a lot of Montreal starters out there. And the guys that weren't starters were just sort of starters playing in different spots. Like like Chris Aki, for example, was playing middle linebacker. And, and he's been coming off the bench a little bit this season. But I wouldn't say that's the same, putting Chris Aki at middle linebacker as starting Theron Churchill at right tackle for the Argos. So I, I did feel that Montreal went in with a, a more complete team, a more experienced team. But it was it was a pretty even heavyweight fight at the end of the day uh, between these two offenses that uh, and special teams units because both special teams units scored um, that made for a, a pretty entertaining ball game. What was weird is I don't think I've ever seen a football game before where you could like recognize, hey, I think we've seen this play three times already <laughs> because both teams were going with a really short play sheet. No, I, I mean Montreal obviously is not going to want to show Toronto anything, and Hamilton uh, coming up next week, and you know they had stand back in a little bit, but then they they moved away from that. So yeah, it it made sense that that they wanted to stay vanilla, um, but uh, thankfully the level of execution, despite a few defensive offside plays by Toronto, the level of execution was pretty good. Usually that's what damns these type of games is. 
a lot of drops, a lot of misreads, a lot of misplays. And, uh, Toronto definitely had those moments, but they were not uh, – it was not an – never-ending series of them they were able to uh they were able to get get out of their own way most of the time what there were were a lot of penalties and that's something that looked made it feel very preseason. like you had a lot of procedure calls offsides uh, holding penalties where you just don't normally see them and i think that that sort of spoke to guys especially early on having some nerves uh, like it wasn't wasn't a normal game for like for a lot of these players there was so much on the line you had guys that in theory could be playing their last football game if things didn't go well or other guys who are really hoping to be a starter on for someone maybe it's toronto maybe it's someone else next year and so they're trying to put a really good game on tape this mattered a lot to guys you know so i i just even looking pre-game I got there a couple hours before the game started and there were already a number of players on the field, which is unusual. Usually the specialist uh, will start trickling out around that time, but you had offensive linemen that were out there stretching and just kind of taking everything in, running backs, receivers. It was it was odd, everything about this game from, from pre-game onwards. You could tell how important it was to some of these players. Obviously not to the starters, but it's a different opportunity for them as well. Like it was, it was kind of neat to, uh, you know, I was, I was doing the uh, color commentary today with the radio broadcast and we had Enoch Mwamba come and join us uh, in the third quarter for a little bit. And it was, it was kind of fun to see his thoughts on it. Like he was so excited to see all of these players who have been playing uh, behind him and uh, on the bench, you know, guys like Jack Asar, who's playing his middle linebacker spot, uh, guys like uh, Jeremiah Hedell, who, uh, you know, hasn't really been given a full opportunity to go out there and show what he can do. And he was so excited for those guys. And it was kind of neat to see that sort of uh, the attitude of the veterans, uh, whether it's McLeod Bethel Thompson on the sideline cheering his guys on or, or Enoch Muamba and visiting every different radio and TV booth there was. Uh, he's he's pumped up and he's excited for his teammates. So that was kind of a, made the vibe very different, too. Yeah, it, it, it had a very... Um... Yeah, as, as you would think, it had a very relaxed vibe. It's a beautiful Saturday. Uh, the East Final is locked in. Montreal has to go play a game against Hamilton. It's a great place to be. It's it's really a very nice reward uh, for a great regular season. And just to give you the numbers on penalties, uh, and yeah, they're they're quite something. So. In terms of penalties, Montreal had 12 penalties for 100 yards. Toronto, 14 penalties for 130 yards. That is a lot of penalty There's yardage. a lot but, of defensive linemen upside. <laughs> I know, I know. But part of that is is having different quarterbacks. Like you've got Chad Kelly in for the Argos, who really hasn't played anything other than short yardage and a couple of garbage time snaps this year. So suddenly he's in there. He's got a different cadence. That not only affects his own offensive line, and it did it on a couple occasions, even the defensive line, they're going off of uh, just having played McLeod uh, last week and they're used to his cadence and, and sort of when they can try and get their jump. And so that caused problems. Then on the other side of the ball, you've got two different quarterbacks who, uh, and again, like Dominic Davis, it's not like he's new, he's been in there, but it's also been short yardage. And Davis Alexander is is pretty much entirely new. So you had guys jumping on both sides of the ball on both teams. And that led to a lot of a lot of flags today. Why don't we go through uh, some of the players that we were looking to see and see kind of what you and I both saw from them. So I think we've got to start with 
Toronto quarterback Chad Kelly. The plan was coming into this game that Chad Kelly would play most of the game and that Ben Holmes would take over at some point. That seemed to be the strategy. But the way the game played out, it being a tight ball game at the end, I have to believe the decision to leave Chad Kelly in there was to see how he handled a pressure situation with the game on the line, how would he respond? And he ended up playing the entire thing. I feel bad for Ben Holmes. He was a player I was pretty excited about seeing, but we got to see a lot of Chad Kelly today. What did you think of his performance? Yeah, it, ma- it makes sense. I think they, that's the question. I mean, that's the biggest question facing the franchise for, from a you know management point of view is who is going to be the QB next year. Um, so it makes sense to leave him in for the whole game. Um, he looked, look, he looked, uh, he looked good. I think I think that's why you would put it. He looked he looked like a quarterback who has the potential to be a very good quarterback in the in the CFL. You know, he it's tough to get much read because I mean, like you know, Dominique Davis looked like the greatest quarterback who ever lived. So I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but uh, you know, Chad Kelly showed his arm strength. Um, pretty good at reads. He didn't take off and run a lot of times. Uh, I thought he moved the offense up and down the field pretty well. Two sixty-four, two touchdowns. Um, interception was a, was a bit of an overthrow, but I thought he played well. I think he showed that he has the potential to be a, a CFL starting quarterback. That that would be my takeaway. Like, but I I wouldn't say okay, close the book on that. We have a star. I, I, it wasn't that kind of performance, but it was it was a very reasonable performance from a guy because that's not easy, even in those conditions, to go out there and go sixty percent and two sixty four. You know, you can't you can't bluff your way to those stats. So I, I thought he played pretty well. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I think he played better than I thought he would. In that, and I didn't think he would play badly, but it's just like you said, the conditions aren't really ideal for success. You've got a mixed match group of receivers. The timing's going to be a question mark. He, you notice he did go to guys that he's spent more practice squad time with. Look at his two touchdown passes to, to you know, Dejan Brissett and Juwan Breskison. Those are guys that he's taken a lot of reps with this season. They were the guys that he was most comfortable with. So, <laughs> and those, the both touchdown passes were monster plays by the receivers. No kidding. And that's sort of a different thing, too, because we know that the way McLeod has played this season, generally speaking, he's not going to just throw the ball up. And, and you know, he, he will sometimes do it. You sometimes see him do it in man coverage where it's a go route. It's man coverage. The DB's not looking, doesn't have his head back. Sometimes he'll, he'll give his guy a shot. But he's not really a gambler that way. And Chad Kelly for better or worse, is a gambler. Oh, yeah. and both, both throws were to people who were 100% covered. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about that first one. So the first one to uh, Dejan Brissett. Brissett was, was so covered that I don't think he initially, when Chad Kelly launched the ball, I don't think he initially thought it was coming to him. Now, post-game, uh, Brissett did comment that Chad Kelly said, you know, I'm, I'm going to get you the ball. And so this seems to have been like a plan pre-snap. But uh, yeah, he wasn't open. Now that said, there's perhaps nobody better on the team at going up and getting the ball than Dejan Brissett. You watch his, his film from, from Richmond especially. That's what he did. He was great at using his body to box guys out, going up to catch a contested ball. He's got a basketball background. And he, he I talked to him a bit after the game about this. And I sort of said, is that something you... You relied on and he said it's funny because he was just talking this morning about 
about his, you know, going back to his Richmond days and playing a bit more like that and, you know, going up and making plays. And that's that's what Chad Kelly gave him a chance to do. But I'm sure Coach Dinwiddie had a bit of a heart attack with yeah, both like, of those passes. Both were great. And full credit to Chad. He threw the ball where his receiver could get it. That's a good throw. Full credit to the receivers. Those are star plays. But that is not a sustainable uh, model. No, it's not. The the Breskison one, hearing Chad walk through it is is entertaining. He again he wants to give his guys plays, and I do like that. I do think, but you know, players love playing for a guy like that too. Uh, receivers love it when your quarterback is going to give you a shot. And he says he was rolling out to the right. He thought he had something short, but then it sort of closed by the time he was ready to throw it. He looks into the end zone and sees Juwan Breskison streaking across the end zone with his hand in the air. The universal signal for I'm open, regardless of whether you, you are open or not. That's just sort of a receiver move. And it's like, okay, I guess I'll I'll give it a go. And he put it in a spot that only Breskison could have, could have caught it in. Now, for the record, I don't... I don't think that's a touchdown. Just no, looking no. at there's no chance his foot wasn't out of bounds. <laughs> but there's no angle that showed it. No. But just knowing, like Breskison's got giant feet, which I'm sure didn't help him. Yeah. But he's lucky in that the guy in coverage is wearing white shoes. He's wearing white shoes. There, there's a glare of the sun off the line. It was impossible to see from any camera angle, so it wasn't going to be overturned. But yeah, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure the toes of Breskison's right foot were out of bounds. But what a, it was a heck of a catch. He had a really nice day today, and. I was pulling so much for Jawan. He has barely had an opportunity to play this year due to injury. And to see him out there, not just healthy, but making plays, five catches on six targets for 48 yards, a touchdown. It was his best game as a Toronto Argonaut. Yeah, he, he looked good. I mean, he did look good. He looked he looked like a guy who can who can be useful. Um if you know if somebody goes down, he can he can do that kind of possession receiver work, and you can trust him. It was also sort of a test today for the twenty twenty draft class. We talked a little bit about Dejan Brissett, but you've also got Theron Churchill, who started at right tackle. You have Dylan Giffen, who started at right guard. All three of those guys uh, were from that 2020 class. And we're getting to a point where decisions have to be made about all three of those guys. I will say, you know, talking about Brissett, again, that's he hasn't had opportunities like some of the other guys. But I, I think that's probably his best game as an Argonaut as well to go six to seven, 69 yards. His, it's not his first touchdown, but it was his first receiving touchdown. He had one on special teams uh, last year. But yeah, I think that's his best game as an Argonaut. What did you think about the two linemen? What did you think about what we saw from Churchill and Giffen? No sacks given up. No, it, uh, Montreal didn't seem to be bringing as much heat as Toronto was. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, they they held up in pass pro. Um, they were not dominating in run. I, I would say that. Um, but I, you know, both looked serviceable you know like like um able to hold their own and you know able to be in a conversation for for being on the team yeah like i wouldn't say either jumped out at me um but uh, neither was a turnstile either so that's good um i you know i but again i i i would like to have seen a little more heat um from montreal to see them under pressure a little bit more 
The only real heat, well, they, they did blitz late in the game. Yeah. It seemed no, like true. it was just constant zeros late, but zeros are a little different. That's not the same. Like picking up a zero blitz is actually like for in terms of offensive linemen, picking up a zero blitz when you know it's coming isn't as difficult as playing stunts and twists and getting delayed blitzes and delayed safety blitzes. And that's, we didn't really see any of that stuff. And so while they didn't get caught out on the blitzes we did see, they weren't really tested in that way as much as they were on, you know, just sort of your standard uh, pass protection drops and your standard run blocking. But I, I, I was encouraged. I thought, I thought they both played well enough that you want to hang on to both of those guys. Yeah, I 100%. think that's if you that's the key. If you, I think you know, even in a game like this, um, still you still have lots of CFL players on the field, and if you are able to hold your own at the line and it doesn't just you know collapse, um, which can happen in preseason and exhibition, then yeah, that definitely you are you're worth keeping. And a lot of Montreal's starting defense was still out there so it's not like montreal had a whole new group of guys um there there was a they had a bunch of starters on uh, on the field for uh for the alouettes on, on both sides of the ball like really on defense it was just like durden was was starting at at boundary corner that's new murray was starting at at field half and that was you know he's he's actually played a fair bit but that was sort of new then you had uh, aki and for and Wakefield was really the only new starting defensive lineman. So to go up against what is essentially Montreal's starting line, I thought Churchill and Giffen really did uh, handle themselves very well. Yeah, agreed. Uh, what about the running backs? Let's let's talk a bit more about those. We talked a little bit about Adeboboye. Uh We didn't see a lot of carries uh, from Javon Leak. He only ended up with two carries. He was robbed a couple of times where there was one especially I, I was really excited about what was coming. I knew what was coming because I'd seen them run this play a few times already. So they had a near bunch. It was it was the play they opened with where Adeboboye went sort of wide sweep to the left and uh, the Argos had three receivers in a, in a near bunch. Um, they flipped it and a penalty was called on this. Uh, Leak had a ton of space to the outside and he was going to take it at least 20 yards downfield but it ended up getting called back for a procedure penalty. Um, but that's too bad because I, I kind of wanted to see a bit more out of him. Because to me, there are, there are a lot of questions about Javon League. I think Adebaboye, you know he's not going anywhere anyway. You just drafted him this year. He's a heck of a special teams player. His, his spot is secure. And no, you don't know if he can be a starting running back or not yet. And I guess they wanted to see that. But Javon Leak, as an American, as a guy that you're going to have to make a decision about for next year, I did want to see more carries from him. And I especially wanted to see carries up the middle because we know he can do the outside stuff. He's really good at the outside stuff. That was his whole career at Maryland was taking jet sweeps wide and using his speed to to shed uh, or to, to shake tacklers and, and leave defenders in the dust. So I wanted to see more traditional running from Javon League. Runs up the middle. I wanted to see some inside zone stuff that we didn't see him run at all. Um, and so that was a little bit disappointing to me. We didn't get more from him. I do wonder, though. I think, um, like, I agree. I thought um, Adababoye looked good. Um, you know, five yards, a carry. It's not like there were <laughs> huge lanes being open for him. He was driving with his legs to get those yards. Um you know, he you know, forty yards is is pretty good um, for for what they were running. Here. It's not like they drilled tons of plays just for him in practice, you know, or had blocking schemes for him. So, 
I think 40 yards shows that he is, he can be, um, you know, he can be AJ Olette, to be honest, in the future. Yeah, there's um, a lot of similarities there. Yeah. Um, Leak, my my feeling is they probably want to sit on some of that stuff for Leak. You know, I think they do. I think they might use him more in the playoff game uh, than we've seen, whether it be like on reverses or, um, you know, a jet sweep or, or some pitch plays. Uh, that that would that was my take on how little Leak was used in those in this game. I think... I think they're sitting on those. That's an interesting takeaway. I, I, I think there might be something to that, and I hadn't really considered that. But yeah, he is sort of the 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 counter to the style that he Olet seems to be running. Like his returns look really good. He's running really confidently. Um, I yeah, I, I don't know why you wouldn't use him as a counter in the running game because he he looks like he's at a hundred percent right now. The other player that I thought was an interesting evaluation today is Isaiah Cage, who was playing left tackle. The reason this is so interesting is that, well, first of all, first of all, we have to we have to hope that Isaiah Cage responds positively to the action he saw today because he played in uh, the Saskatchewan game in Halifax. He played. It wasn't a great game for him. He didn't play that well. And then he seemed to be suffering, I guess, from symptoms um, in the days after and then really hasn't been on the field since then and it's been weeks and weeks and weeks since then he's only recently in the last few weeks started to I, I guess increase his, his level of activity and then eventually returning to the practice field this week getting reps and now playing in a game so first above all else we hope that he's well we hope that he's not suffering any any concussion related symptoms and that he he got through the game cleanly and he feels like, uh, you know, a million bucks tomorrow. No one feels like a, a million bucks the day after a, a game. But I'm hoping that his head is 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 feeling good uh, tomorrow when he wakes up. So that's the first thing. Did he play well enough today that you have to start asking questions about who your starting linemen are going to be in the playoff game? Yeah, it... There is the potential for an abundance of riches at the O line. Um, how how much you want to m- m- play around with who is where is probably up for debate. Traditionally, on offensive line, you don't like to plug and play guys. You like to have guys kind of used to who's to the left of them and who's to the right of them. Um, that's sort of that push and pull debate. Starting your best five or starting the five that worked together the best uh that's definitely going to come down to the coach's ability to pick that out in practice you know that's going to be a real real test for the coach i think to be able to see in practice um can i get a real look at these guys it's tough in practice right because you even even when you're doing 12s you're not you know you're not really live on the line um, not not in the same way. So that that's going to be that's going to be a tough decision for the offensive line coach. I uh, I don't know how I come down on that. It's it, it's so hard to tell which way is right. Um, I probably lean towards if I had to choose, I would lean towards your best five guys, and they'll always figure it out. But yeah, that that and well, I'm mean, I, I think paid the money. I I think the a real uh, sort of um, I guess showing of his cards a little bit today in terms of what Coach Dinwiddie showed us was having Ryan Hunter, uh, Ryan Hunter, 
starting at center. Yeah, yeah. Because we know Ryan Hunter can play every position on the line. The fact that they put him at center today means that they're thinking the same thing at tackle. Ryan Hunter is at center in case they decide we've got to have, we need Isaiah Cage at there. Because Isaiah Cage, when healthy, is definitely one of Toronto's best five linemen. There's no question about that. He didn't look it in the Saskatchewan game because he wasn't 100%. He didn't look it quite today in terms of 100% because it's his first game in forever. But it was an improvement. He looked pretty good today, I thought. And so if he's playing left tackle then that means you, you've got to have Philip Lake out there. He's one of your best linemen. So that means he's playing left guard, which means that's the position Ryan Hunter has been playing. But you have to play Ryan Hunter because he's been absolutely your best run blocker over the last four games and one of the better pass blockers as well. So he has to be in there and the only spot left for him is center because you're not going to move Darius Bladek from right guard and you're not going to move Dejon Allen from right tackle. So... I think if the coaches decide that Isaiah Cage played well enough at left tackle to get the start in the East final, then that will be your lineup. I think you're going Cage, Blake, Hunter, Bladek, and Allen. And, you know, it, what? It, it makes me upset for, for Justin Lawrence, who's played the entire season at center and has done remarkably well after a rough start. But you know what? He looked great today coming off the bench. They used him in tight end sets. And man, he was driving people off the ball. He was such a mismatch uh, on the yeah, outside I, there. I, I love the power, especially got a power back. You know, let, let's just let's go 6-0 six, six line and let's show him that power package that no one has seen. Uh, all season and uh, I love I love that idea of, of mixing that into a passing game if you can run if you can run power uh, out of that backfield you know great and that's a great use of him as the extra lineman and you know that that's that's a I think that's an ideal scenario especially because there's no film on it at all really and I, I love the fact that the other tight end, so when they went into tight end sets, now occasionally they used they used Brissett and they had a few odd looks there. But most of the time when they went double tight, which was actually a lot, and I want to talk about that in a second, but when they went double tight, it was usually Lawrence on one side and Brendan Calver on the other side. And what's interesting about Calver is that he was a linebacker until last week. He'd been playing exclusively playing linebacker, and he had, in fact, at one point in this season, was ahead of Jack Kassar at middle linebacker. And then he, in the Edmonton game, though dressed as a linebacker, got a few reps at fullback, and then last week was dressed as the backup fullback, and today dressed as the starting fullback when they let Declan Cross have a bit of a rest. But I thought he looked pretty good, too. He's definitely got the right mentality to be a fullback and was pretty physical out there. I don't think you're putting him over Declan Cross at this point. I think Cross is still your guy. But it's just nice to know you've got another guy there where if you need to dress a couple fullbacks, you're not wasting a roster spot, certainly with Brendan Calver. Let's talk a little bit about the defense and and what we saw from them. There was kind of a nice rotation on the defensive line. Anyone stand out to you? Uh, a Knight didn't. Um, so I, I would say that, um, but you know, he wasn't one of the guys I had my eye on, but, uh, yeah, Ali Fayed looked great. Yeah. His his first step is, is elite, you know, (laughs) I mean that that's what they brought him in for. And, and obviously you're going to need more experience and, you know, can he hold up against a run and this and that, but if you put him in, in passing situations, 
uh, he has a nose for the quarterback and he is a problem for, for teams to pick up because he is really, really fast. Yeah, I was super impressed with Ali Fayed. And you can see why uh, he, he went back to back defensive yeah, I, players I of the, the year. Star, or something. I thought he was the start of the game, really, from, yeah, from I, the Argos I think, point of view. I think he was, if not the best, the second best player on, on the Argos. I, I thought he had an outstanding game. And I actually did think I, I saw Knight flash a couple of times. He was in the backfield on a couple of occasions. Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't be too harsh. On him. I thought he was okay. But I, I he and, also got pushed around a little bit. Also remember that Montreal had five, four of five are starting linemen that were out there. So well, like calendar, I know, I understand, but we are we are evaluating starters. <laughs> yeah, I know, but to have to, to not necessarily look like a superhero. No, it was only a, their right guard who isn't was, a starter. He was all right. He was all right. Let's not let's not get out of control. No, I'm not. I'm not getting out of control. I thought he was all right as well, but I think you know well, he, he seemed he pretty ready right. to. You said he was all slam right. the door. I'm, I'm willing yeah, to accept your. He was all right. He was all right. <laughs> uh, other guys that got in there a little bit, uh, Brinkman, I still really like. I think there's there's something there, too. I, I don't know. It's so crowded in the defensive line room. Uh, but, yeah, he stood out. I, I was hoping to see a little bit more, uh, a little bit more from Barlow, but it just wasn't really, he didn't really get opportunities. They seemed to run away from him at times. He never really got involved. There was one moment where I thought Barlow was going to make a terrific play. He read he read the uh, that the quarterback. I don't remember which quarterback it was in there at the time. I think it was Alexander. He read that the quarterback was going to throw to the running back in the flats, and he saw it immediately. He tried to get out there and just missed it by a hair. But um, that was the only play where he seemed to really get involved. And I don't really put that on him. But Atchampong looked his usual self, really solid. He had a nice game. But yeah, I think there's some real potential with Brinkman. I, I'm certainly not giving up on Knight. And yeah, Fayad is is definitely the takeaway from that defensive line unit. And how about how about my guy Sutton coming in to knock that ball away at the end of the game? Yeah, I know. He had a couple of nice plays. Sutton is such he's such a steal. I still can't believe he's a sixth round draft pick. That's the most amazing thing. So that was great. Yeah, that, that was, I was excited to see that. You know, he was he was, you know, he was in the mix. Um, Haggerty played fantastic. You know, he knocked, he was on that last pick and he also knocked the ball back to Shaq, um, with that crushing hit out of, uh, out of the secondary. I thought he looked, you know, but, you know, and it's terrific to see that he, you know, he is a full-time Argo. He's a great special teamer. And if, if you need to bring him in, um, he's not, he's not a liability, couple things I loved about Haggerty today. And yeah, I think to me, like Haggerty might have been my defensive MVP today for the Argos. He was playing corner, which he never plays. That's just not his spot. And he was getting some reps at corner. I don't know. I don't know what the motivation was there because I know like, you know, Carnell was was injured and we'll have to see what the update is on his status. But they did move pieces around because they wanted Richardson to be able to come out of the game. They wanted to, to move guys a little bit. So there you had Haggerty playing some corner. He played some safety, played some halfback. He was all over the place. He's the one that caused the Antwi fumble. Uh, that could really have turned the game around. It was inside the five-yard line, Anthony running for the end zone, not covering up the ball as well as we saw A.J. Olette cover the ball a couple weeks ago on his touchdown run. And Haggerty came flying in and made sure to get his helmet on the football, and it knocked it free. And at the end there, the last play that Montreal ran before the kneel downs, they had to run one play. And so they they called a running play up the middle. Haggerty, he... 
he approached the ball carrier and then he sort of grounded himself and prepared for what looked like would be like some sort of magical spell, like a Hajduken or something like that. He brought his arms back and just delivered every ounce of power he could into Antwi, trying to knock the ball free because he realized situationally, this is it. We get one play to cause a turnover. If we don't cause a turnover on this play, the game's over. And he just delivered every ounce of power he could. And Antwi, this time, had the ball covered up because I'm sure he was screamed at on the sideline after the last fumble. Cover the ball, two hands on the football in this situation. And yeah, he wasn't going to fumble it, but Haggerty did everything he could to knock that ball free. What do you think of the linebacker play? We saw a lot of time for Kassar and uh, for Jonathan Jones. Uh, how, how did they do in your eyes? Yeah, I, I thought Kassar uh, did fine. It's, it's obviously a huge test. Um, to to be the middle backer, I thought that he didn't look out of place. He had uh, he had a bunch of good tackles, and uh, they didn't blitz much with him. But um, you know, I, I thought that he he played a very conservative game, as you would expect somebody to do at that position. He didn't he didn't want to leave you know get out of position, and I thought he did that well. I thought he he held his own at that position, and you know played within himself. And, uh, you know, was effective, you know, really. I mean, I know it doesn't sound like a lot of superlatives, but but that's that's pretty good at middle linebacker. I think he I think he he consciously wanted to to not get out of position and uh, and to come up, you know, with speed and violence when needed. And and he did that. So I, I thought he looked good. And, and Jonathan Jones looked great. You know, he's he's really um, a nice player. Yeah, I thought both those guys were were strong. And I, like you're saying with Kassar, he he did not give you, and, and again, it's not going to sound like high praise, but we mean it as high praise. Middle linebacker, like you said on last week's podcast, is the most difficult position to play on the defense. There's so much going on. You have so many responsibilities. We take it for granted because Enoch Mwamba is one of the, the best in the league at, at playing that spot. And Jack Kassar was not Enoch Mwamba today. There's no question. There is a gap between them. But of course there's going to be. Enoch's one of the best and he's been doing it forever. What Jack showed today was that he's not somebody that you can pick on or isolate or take advantage of. He was steady, solid. He didn't really have any highlight plays, but he didn't have any glaring mistakes either. He was second on the team in tackles, which is pretty typical for, for a linebacker, uh, tied with Jonathan Jones, actually, and that, that makes sense. They're the, the, the two backers. Metchie actually led the team with, with nine tackles, and I'm not quite sure how that happened. But uh, yeah, in, in terms of what Kassar showed today, he showed me enough that if he needs to play middle linebacker, there's no problem with yeah, that. Yeah, and, and what, what, what I would love to see down the road is as he gets more comfortable in that position and the team is more comfortable and, and in the, in that position, then he can start being a little more aggressive and he can let his, his talent, you know, do things where yes, okay, maybe you're going to be out of position, but you're going to be able to flash plays. Um, and that that's down the road. But I think that for him to show that he can do this is great. And then he can build to the other one, which is, Okay, now we can we're gonna take the reins off, and uh, you can you can get into some trouble. I thought there. If I was gonna critique one thing from his game today, he showed his blitzes a little early, and that was that's something that comes with experience. Because the thing is, he doesn't want to be late 
that's you know he doesn't want to he doesn't want to end up reacting too late. But he committed early where. Uh, you know, he might have had an advantage if the O-line didn't know he was coming. But right before the snap, he crept in and you could tell that he was coming in on the blitz. And so the few times he did blitz, it was just a bit too obvious. No, for my I agree. And it, it people probably it, it is really hard to blitz from the middle linebacker position um, because they see you coming. You know, if, if you're not running games, it, it is much harder than you think to 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 get there because they you know they're gonna see you coming um and they're gonna pick it up so that uh you know that that definitely is is an aspect of it um you know for him you gotta you gotta try and do a few more few more games um to to get him released but or or move him outside have him come from the outside that kind of stuff but that'll all come and Josh Haggerty did the opposite thing where he was sent on a safety blitz and was way too late. <laughs> so the quarterback had the ball out and Haggerty hadn't even made it to the line of scrimmage yet. And that was unfortunately against the cover zero. And you just can't, you can't do that. If it's cover zero, you've got to get there before the quarterback makes that throw. But because the timing was off, uh, you know, he left the, yeah, the middle of the field open and it was complete. It's really, I mean, it, people think, well, that's the easiest thing to do. Go hit the, it's like blitzing is such an art. It is, you know, those who are good at it. Um, and we've seen, um, you know, different guys on the Argos who have shown more, more talent at it. You know, Peters has a, you know, a real nice feel for it. It, it is really an art to be good at blitzing, to, to time it right, to be able to get there, uh, to be under control. It, it is not a skill um, that uh, is, uh, I think, valued enough when people see that because, like, it, it is really hard to be a good blitzer. In talking about the secondary, do you know what happened on that touchdown pass, the first touchdown of the game, where it looked like Deshaun Amos was in coverage? I was trying to figure out for the life of me what that play was supposed to be, but whatever it was supposed to be didn't happen, and Amos ended up. Uh, with deep responsibilities, but I don't think that was what was called for on that play. He looked really lost in space and ended up giving up a, a touchdown. Um, but, you know, he's not someone I'm worried about. I'm not worried about him. I'm not worried about Mechie. I'm not worried about <laughs> McFadden. Um, uh, I thought I thought Holden could have uh, had a better game. I thought he, he was picked on a little bit early, lost the ball in the air a few times. And I, I think I think he's better than what he showed today. Yeah, we need less Holden, more tackling. Um, yeah, no, I think that first touchdown, look, that, that's the Argo special, <laughs> you know, that's the sideline, sideline, nobody's home. Um, uh, we've seen I've, at least five times this year, if not more. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I hope that they fix it. Um, but, uh, it is, um, it is something that comes up, but but it seems to be you know we saw it more at the beginning of the year. It definitely is something that seems to come up in Coach Mesa's defense when you've got new people in, and not everybody is on the same page at at how well you run zone because zone is such you know zone is a privilege. You know you can only run zone when you have good players who are studying and working hard. And man is what you run zone you earn. To be able to run zone means that you are studying and you are, you think the game and you are a great athlete. And that's just, you know, that may just have been guys in new positions, but uh, whew, that uh, he, it had to be, it had to be a bust. I don't know whether he was supposed to have deep, but he definitely didn't think so. 
<laughs> yeah, no, he uh, he didn't think he was supposed to be deep. No. And the fact that it's a regular starter, I think he probably is correct. And he ended up having to cover for somebody. And but... that's almost impossible. You get down the field and you get the sun in your eyes and uh, to turn to turn. And then he just got lost in space. I mean, that that's just a bust. But but that is when they bust. That's the one they bust. They that outside route. Um, somebody is not covering that third. It's it's usually uh, this season when that's happened. It's almost always been covered too, where the uh, the shallow defender, the flats defender, is trailing and then just like leaves his guy, even though it's to the wide side of the field, and you really should continue to trail him. Uh, and that's that's what we've seen a few times, but I don't think that's what it was. It looked like it was cover three initially, and then something broke down. Was this a special teams win, loss, or draw today? Because uh, there were highlights. Draw. And lowlights. Has to be a draw. Has to be a draw, right? I mean, you, you're going to give up a touchdown. You're going to score a touchdown. Uh, you're going to make a field goal. You're going to miss a point after. Yeah, you know, not... Not what you're looking for, to be honest, from special teams. You like to be a little tighter um, heading into the playoffs, to be honest. It was so frustrating because it was it was the score after Toronto tied it up with that special teams touchdown, which we've been waiting for all season. Jeremiah Haddell scores on a kickoff return touchdown. It's a brilliant run. It was beautifully blocked. Hedel did such a nice job of getting free of those two uh, ankle tackles too. And talking to him after the game, he he said like he was looking for it. He knew he had the kicker coming. He he basically knew he just had to sort of high step over that ankle tackle. The second one was a bit tougher, but he was so close to the end zone. He's just like, I'm not letting this guy take me down by the ankles, and he just powered through it. But he saw both those coming, which is is tough. Sometimes guys will look up to the to the jumbotron to see who's tailing them and where they are, almost like a video game. But yeah, you have that wonderful play, first kickoff return touchdown since Chris Rainey ran one back years ago now, and Argo legend. Not yeah, a few minutes later, it's uh, it's them giving one back up again. And let's talk about that block punt because that was a problem for the Argos last season. There were a number of punts <laughs> blocked. There yep. were a number of people in the backfield on every punt, it seemed. And so much so that, I, I don't know if that was the one reason, but but Coach Nelson, special teams coach from last year, didn't return. I think a lot of it had to do with the problem they had protecting in, on punt team. And it hasn't been an issue all year. And then today they give up a block punt for a touchdown, which it often is. Yeah, I mean, it seemed to just be a mistake at the line. Um, you you just can't you can't you can't let somebody have that kind of free release. You only have to hold them up for one second. Um, they're not running twists there. I, you know, I don't know how how it was such a clean, uh, such a clean a gap run. But you know, I mean, you just got to fix that. You, it, it, I, I can't really blame the uh. The personal protectors, I don't think. I think the line can't allow a free run like that. You know, you just it, the whole thing is based on not allowing somebody running straight at the punter. Without the advantage of doing film study on this and everything else, it looked like if you were going to point the finger at at somebody, it would be Benoit Marion. He had. Jabari Ellis on his inside. Ellis was coming through the A gap. 
There wasn't really an overload there. That's his guy. And it looked like Ellis just flew past him. The personal protectors, meanwhile, you had Adebaboye on the left side who had to pick up an overload. And so he came out to pick that up. On the right side, there wasn't any additional threat. And so the protector on the right side released to get downfield in coverage. And so depending on, there are protection calls where he should have stayed in and picked that up. But we don't know that that was the case. In fact, I suspect it wasn't. And he released there and got downfield. But... Ellis came through almost untouched and was able to not only block the punt, but then scoop it up in the end zone for the what would what would end up being, I guess, the was that the winning touchdown? I guess that would be the winning yeah. touchdown. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's relatively easy to to clean up. Are you worried about the field goal team? Because they missed two field goals last week. There's obviously some concern because we didn't see Tashiki Sato in the game today like we both expected to see. Instead, they're repping the regular uh, components of that uh, field goal and punt team out there. You've got, for field goals, you, you've got Haggerty holding, you've got Latour snapping, you've got Beattie kicking, and yet they missed an extra point again today. And what looked like a high snap, it looked like a missed placement as well. And Beattie pulled the, the ball to the left. Uh, no, no, I, I'm I'm not. I, I think Beattie... I think BD is still money when it matters, and you know the he may miss occasionally, but I don't think that, you know that's that's not the end of the world. It really isn't in terms of you know lots of teams win championships and they don't have hundred percent from their kicking. Sometimes you do, but you don't have to have it. I, I'm I'm still fine with him. I think he's still a good kicker. I think he still makes the kicks he needs to make, and uh, you know he isn't he isn't dialed in like he was last year, but last year. You know, he was the best in the league, so now he's more average, but uh, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not worried about that. He's still, he's still a very good kicker. If I had to pick one player that I thought from seeing today's game made me confident that he's actually going to be a contributor in this year's playoffs, I think, I think that's got to be Ali Fayed. Would that be the same for you? Um... I know it's tough to think about all 45 guys that you saw on the field there, but he stood out as a guy that I wouldn't be surprised to see get into the game in the East final. Yes, I think he's probably number one. Um, I'd, I'd love to see, I think Brissette still has tools and skills that we're not totally optimizing um, in the offense. So I would maybe put Brissette at two. As somebody who could potentially have an impact, whether it be, you know, running running a, a reverse or or um, coming in in a empty backfield set, um, I think he he has things we can tap there. Um, even in the even in the red zone, you know, like you say, with his he basically as sort of a tight end um, blockout guy to 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 use in the red zone. Um, but Fayed for sure. In in obvious passing downs, let that kid go hunt. Uh, he has it. He to, to my eyes, he he has it. Use him, you know, use him appropriately. But but for sure, you know, if you're looking at a, a passing situation, um, I think that he can absolutely uh, be useful, especially if we're playing Montreal and we're not as worried about setting that edge. Uh, for the quarterback. And what about in terms of next year? Was there a guy that jumped out at you today? Because I, like, obviously, we'll and we'll maybe close by talking our last little bit about Chad Kelly. But I think Adam Aboye, for me, 
uh, showed me enough that I'm intrigued about him, about the potential for him being a lead back next season. I want to see more from him. And that's probably not going to be this season. He definitely he definitely showed that he is something, mm-hmm. you know, because you can see backs and we've we've had them and you and just there just doesn't seem to be any juice there. And, you know, the fact that he can grind out five yards with very little blocking is pretty darn good. I mean, you get imagine imagine him with a lane. Yeah, and much like uh, uh, you know Olet, he's he is going to give him a couple of steps. He is going to be a problem to bring down. You get him past the linebacker stage. Um, so yeah, he he looked really nice, and Kelly looked like uh, a guy who could potentially be a very good quarterback. Did Kelly show you enough? And this is going to be an off-season topic for sure. Oh my god! Yeah. Did, did Kelly show you enough? today that if you are another team in the CFL who currently doesn't have quarterback plans <coughs> uh, that you are going to make a trade offer uh, hmm I don't I don't know I, I I would I mean I would I would only trade him for the number one overall if I thought the number one overall was a game changer, I don't think it's worth it otherwise, because I think Kelly is going to be a good CFL quarterback. And can he come in next year and start? I don't know. Maybe. I guess it depends how much he does in the offseason in terms of training and learning the playbook. He Certainly, if he, if he put in the time and got the playbook cold, and you know was working out with with quarterback coaches and comes into camp that that potentially could happen i mean there is a path where he can be the argo starter next year i would not trade him for anything less than the first pick overall or multiple firsts or something like no, that no i would i'd want i would only want to trade him if i thought i could like this kid's going to be a star and i want i want that kid you know in the draft that would be it you know depending on who who is currently? I mean, I, I can't tell you that I have, a, have the uh, CFL twenty twenty three draft uh, on my <laughs> mind currently. So I don't know who's kicking around at the one. Uh, but if you thought somebody could be that, and Ottawa was interested, uh, you know, sure, I would I'd make that trade for a star. Because keep, I think that's going to be the biggest off-season topic of conversation for the Toronto Argonauts. I think, depending on what happens in the playoffs here, but even if the Argos were to go on and win a great cup, I think the conversation is going to be, do we go with McLeod Bethel-Thompson or do we go with Chad right. Kelly? I, and I, I don't think you on, can keep both. Right. I don't think you keep both. Uh, I think it, you go, if you believe Chad Kelly is ready to be a professional quarterback in terms of his preparation, his offseason, and that's something you believe is going to be the case, then then you go with him. Um, but if you don't, then I think he showed enough to make those <laughs> four red blacks uh, make another trade. And let's go, Ottawa. We've got the guy for you to turn it all around. <laughs> 
Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. It's bye week coming up as we all turn our attention to Montreal Hamilton to see which one of these teams the Argos will play for the 13th time this year. <laughs> oh, God. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. <laughs>